It is good to be here. I wish it were under different circumstances. The only positive I can see out of this is I only had a couple hours to get nervous. So I... And I've been well-trained for this. I was thinking about uh, how I teach it. It's like, oh yeah, I only have a couple hours of prep and then go at it. I'm kidding about that. <laughs> uh, Mary did send me some notes and so I'd like to try to take what she has written and add a few things and pray that the Holy Spirit fill us with what God has to say to us tonight. We are going to be reading a lot of verses. They come from Genesis 41. If you'd like to follow along, I believe it's on page 33. Fun story. I'm sure you remember it, uh, hearing it in maybe church school, growing up as a kid. It's a wonderful, wonderful series of events. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And there came up out of the Nile seven sleek and fat cows. And they grazed in the reed grass. Uh, and then seven other cows. Ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly and the thin cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. And Pharaoh awoke. <sighs> then he fell asleep. <laughs> you have to admit, right now he sounds like a college student. Then he fell asleep, and he dreamed a second time. Seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. Then seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them. The thin ears swallowed up the seven plump and full ears. Pharaoh woke, and it was a dream. In the morning, his spirit was troubled, so he sent and he called for all the magicians of, magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Oh, then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my faults today. Once Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own meaning. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each according to his dream. As he interpreted to us, so it turned out. Uh, I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Why, then Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was hurriedly brought out of the dungeon. When he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. 
And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that, I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not I. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile, and seven cows, fat and sleek, came out of the Nile and fed on the reed grass. And then seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin. Never had I seen such ugly ones in all the land of Egypt. The thin and the ugly cows ate up the first seven fat cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had done so, for they were still as ugly as before. Then I awoke. I fell asleep a second time, and I saw in my dream seven ears of grain, full and good, growing on one stalk, in seven ears withered and thin and blighted by the east wind, sprouting after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. But when I told it to the magicians, there was no one here who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one in the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, as are the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. After them there will arise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. The plenty will no longer be known in the land because of the famine that will follow, for it will be very grievous. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God. And God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a man who is discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt, Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plenteous years. Let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and lay up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to befall the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. Well, the proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find anyone else like this, one in whom is the Spirit of God? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, 
There is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. The word of the Lord. Well, we've been looking at Joseph's life, and when we last left him, he had led quite an interesting life. In fact, we need to go back just quickly to verse 39, or chapter 39, the last verse, just to remind ourselves, what, or 40, the last verse. We remember that he had this wonderful, uh, the two dreams, and he, he told them exactly what was going to happen. In the Cupbearer said, I'm going to remember you. But the last verse in chapter 40 is this. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Now we got to picture this. You got to picture Joseph sitting there in the jail. He interprets the dreams correctly, and then they unfold. There goes the baker. He's gone. There goes the cupmaker. Cupbearer. So you can imagine him sitting there thinking as the hours go by, any minute now somebody's going to come and get me. I mean, I made the guy promise. He said he was going to remember me once this gets out that I have this amazing gift. There's no doubt someone's going to come and get me. The hours pass to a day. Nobody comes, but he's still very hopeful because after all, The gift of interpreting dreams means something in this culture. He waits another day. The day turns into a week. Certainly by now, the the cupbearer has said something to somebody, and surely he's going to get out of this. The week turns into a month. The month turns into a year. You can imagine Joseph sitting at his cell, right, putting those marks on the wall as he goes around doing his duties. I mean... He finally gets up to 730 days since that cup cup bear left. What's left? So, how's he going to handle this? I mean, here's a guy that we know a little bit about, right? He's a guy who... Tries on this brand new garment, looks kind of sharp. He likes it, he feels good about it. Shows it to his brothers. They're not as impressed as he is with it. Here's a guy who is his daddy's boy. Dad loves him a lot. His father dotes on him. He lets his brother know it. Here's, he can interpret it dreams. And so what does he do? He has a dream about his brothers. He lets them know. You can't help but feel that Joseph feels a little bit full of himself. In fact, when we hear these stories, we've got to admit to ourselves just a little bit, when the brothers come and take this guy who doesn't seem to have much social cognition, when he starts bragging about all the things he can do, when they actually throw him in the pit, it's, part of us almost says, yeah, you, you almost had this coming by the way you're, you're acting. Have a clue here. So we wonder what he's thinking about for the two years. He's waiting. This idea of waiting, it's something we don't like to go to. Waiting means that you are in the control of somebody else, so to speak. 
Joseph is waiting in jail. He is waiting for the cupbearer to do something. If the cupbearer does something, he's going to be okay. He's waiting. We get this. We have this all the time, right? We're waiting for things. Some of it are with strangers. You ever pull up to the old ATM, hop out, you got, you're all ready to go, there's only one person ahead of you. That one person sticks in their card, and then what's the next thing they do? Why they reach for the deposit slip. Because what they're going to do next is while their card is in there, they're going to fill out their deposit. But of course, first of all, they've got to take out their billfold, get the check, sign off their name on it. But they probably have two or three checks, so they have to add it up twice. Then they put down the amount, look it shut, and then uh, it's almost timed out. They've got to hit some buttons, and then they put it back in. And then they get some money. And all the while, we're behind waiting, wondering, what's the deal here? You ever heard of Johnny's? You're sitting there, and you, again, you've gone to the shortest line because who likes to wait? You're at somebody else's control. So there's a person ahead of you with their food, and what do they got? Oh, they're going to dig out, and while we've been waiting, of course, everyone, you're thinking ahead, and you got your card out ready to give it. But as soon as they put their tray out, they start digging for their card. They can't find it. And it just happens to be the day that they're wearing their outfit that has close to 53 pockets. And they're looking through all the pockets, but they're not going to find it because their card is in the backpack, which is sitting in the fish house with the friends. Hate to wait. You ever have it with your friends waiting? Let's clean the room. You know what? I worked ahead a little bit. I cleaned my part of the room. It turns out we have gray carpet. This is good news. Now, could you clean up over here? It'd be great. Get your stuff off the floor. You wait, wondering if your roommate's going to come through. It's up to him or her. <laughs> Maybe you've had this, too, that you say to someone, you know what? I think I'm in love with you. You mean everything to me. And then you hear these words. Um, I, I want to think about it. I want to spend some time. And you wait, wondering your vulnerability will be rewarded or not. Waiting. Somebody else has control. Waiting for God. You see, God, I came here, you know. Uh, I thought you wanted me to go to this place, and I figured when I get here, you'd probably help me figure out what I should do when I get here. You seem to be silent on the matter. I'm wondering, God, if you could be a little bit more direct. I'm waiting to have direction in my life. You see, God, um, I want the Spirit in my heart. I want to feel more alive in you. But I feel kind of dead right now. I kind of pray and I kind of read the Bible and I try to do the right things and yet it just doesn't feel like anything's happening. And I'm, I'm waiting, God, for you. Waiting is that uncomfortable feeling, the knowledge that while you're waiting, you're not quite in control. It's somebody else that controls what's going to happen next for you. That's what Joseph is doing when he's called up, right? 
He's been waiting two years. I mean, it's the first thing we're going to read about with the story, so it's got to have some significance. He's waiting two years. And who could blame him once he gets the word that, hey, Pharaoh wants to see you. He's had a dream. He thinks you could interpret it. Who could blame Joseph for saying, really? Oh, this is my opportunity. This is my time to cut a deal. I know what it's like to wait, and I know what it's like to wait when you put that responsibility in somebody else's hand like a cupbearer. I'm not going to make that mistake again. So when I go up there, I'm going to cut a deal with Pharaoh. Pharaoh, I'll interpret. You do me a favor. Get me out of the jail that I'm in. I need a different thing to do in life. But he doesn't do that. I mean, we find out right away in verse 16, he says to him, oh, I don't interpret dreams. It's God. He hears what Pharaoh has to say. Pharaoh's between a rock and a hard place right now. You get what's at stake here? The Nile River. The Nile River's the source of life for Pharaoh. This is the thing that they irrigate with. This is the thing that gets water for them. This is the thing that provides transportation for them. The economy depends on the Nile River, so these things are coming out of the Nile. It, it scares him. He's wondering what's going to happen. Well, and why are there these cows? Cows are a big part of the economy, too. Why, they're good for food. I, I mean, they're a sign of blessing when your flocks increase. And so now Pharaoh's thinking, I got the Nile River, and then I got the, the cows doing this, and then, oh, grain. That's how we eat. That's bread. I mean, we've got to have grain. I mean, every sign of blessing for Pharaoh is at risk here. And he needs an interpretation, and nobody there can come up with it. So Joseph comes. And what does Joseph do? He, first of all, points to God. Why did that happen? What was happening for the two years Joseph is waiting Maybe he reflects back on that beautiful coat. And maybe he thinks about the time when it was ripped off his back and then torn in a bunch of pieces and then dipped in animal's blood. He's had two years to think about that scene. Maybe he thinks about his, his father who loves him. I mean, he's had a long time to play out the scene when the brothers bring back the coat to dad and then dad starts weeping and wailing. He can probably hear it. He knows what he means to his father. Maybe during those two years, he thinks about the gift of being able to interpret dreams. And he starts thinking to himself, yeah, look, look where I am. Maybe it's not that important anymore. There seems to be a difference here between the earlier Joseph in this Joseph who has been waiting for years, two years. We hear it in verse 16, but we hear it also in the other verses. Verse 25, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. i got to make this clear to you, Pharaoh. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is doing. Then again, he says in verse 28, It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. 
at every chance he gets, he wants to make sure Pharaoh understands what's going on here. Joseph is an instrument. He's been waiting with God. He wants to make sure Pharaoh understands it's not about him. He brings it home. Verse 32, in the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by, by God. And God will shortly bring it about. Pharaoh hears all this. He's duly impressed, isn't he? I mean, did you get this wonderful question that he asks? Oh, verse 38. Can we find anyone else like this? One in whom is the Spirit of God. Is there anyone else? And he's looking at his magicians. <laughs> they can't do it. This Joseph fellow, though, he can. Man, he's got the gift. And then we pause for a minute. Because we wonder if the question isn't so much for the magicians and the other people in the court as it is for us. Is there anyone with the Spirit of God like this? Uh, that, uh, that wisdom and discerning thing Oh, well, uh, that's why I'm here. I'm trying to learn that part of the game. I don't quite have that yet. Uh, being gifted, having an ability to do something special. Not so much. I don't have a gift. Um, that phrase, being enabled by God, well, quite frankly, most of the time I don't feel it. No, I don't want to answer the question. But the good news is, it's not our question. It's God's question with an amazing answer. There is one, but his name's not Joseph. God in his wisdom, God the incomprehensible, God the maintainer of all things, has an answer. And he waits before he gives the answer. Why? Waiting makes you remember who you're waiting for. God understands that he's working with people who do not like to wait. God understands that people get antsy when they have to wait. God understands a people who want to be in control, who want to have more control over their life, to be more active in it. God understands that. So in his good time, God provides an answer for the waiting question. And it's interesting how it is revealed. He gives himself. He gives himself through his son, Jesus. How does this start off? Nine months. Nine months in darkness. In a virgin's womb. 
What is Jesus doing? He's waiting. The time comes when she is to be delivered. Jesus comes. He grows up. He skins his knees. He plays with his friends. He learns parts of Deuteronomy. He goes and learns some trade like carpentry. And all the while, he is waiting. He understands there's something else coming, but he's waiting for God to reveal it to him. And it isn't until 30-some years that his ministry begins, all the while engaging and waiting on his father. In his ministry, he is teaching and preaching and trying to make clear what is, what is important to him, what the, the, gospel, what the uh, prophets have been saying. He gives them signs, and he gives miracles. He feeds people. He talks with them. All the while, waiting. Do they understand? Do they know who I am? I'm not just a prophet. I, I, I'm not just a miracle man. I was sent by God. And he waits, and he waits for them to receive him but they don't understand and so they accuse him he waits for the accusations to stop the accusations lead to a sentence he hears them shouting crucify him he waits for that to stop but that only starts the insults and the mocking he waits for that to stop but that leads to a beating he waits for the pounding to stop and the nails to stop going through the palms of his hand. He waits. He looks out and he waits as life slowly ebbs from him to us. He even wonders where God is in all of his waiting He waits for three days until God puts an exclamation point on how waiting will now happen. Waiting will never be something that's done alone. Waiting isn't just you at the mercy of somebody else. Waiting is in Him. The one who, when he came from the tomb, conquered even the waiting that happens in death. It is inevitable. Your life is one of waiting. My life is one of waiting. Sometimes the waiting is excruciating. It happens when you're sitting there and you're waiting for the biopsy report. It happens when you're sitting there waiting to figure out what you might want to do with your life. It may happen when you're waiting for the phone to ring because you have left message after message to your friend and you're hoping for a response. Sometimes it's intense and sometimes not as intense, but we are people who wait, but never alone. Someone did that for us. So now as we reflect during this Lenten season, 
on him who waited for us, we do so knowing we wait in hope. I'll share this. I've asked her if I could, so she said I could, and I did it somewhere else. We hear a lot of Brenna Hannon, right? So first-year student, and she collapses on November 17, and there she is in a hospital room. So I visited once and uh, talked with mom. Who waits every day hoping something happens? Little things like the, the twitch of a finger or the movement of an eyelid are greeted with hope. So we got talking and she says to me, I have never been more uncertain of everything in my life. Never. I don't know what the next hour brings me while I wait. But I've also never been more sure of being with God in the waiting. No matter how this turns out, he is in it. We never wait alone. In this season, we remind ourselves why that is. Will you pray with me? Father, we're grateful. We are grateful for a love that pursues us. We are grateful for your spirit that fills us. We are grateful for your son who waits with us, who brings us before your throne. You are an awesome God. We love you. Fill us with your spirit while we wait upon you. Amen.